May it please the listeners. My name is Rich Schoenstein, and this is Law Brief. This week, we are joined by my colleague, Alexis Gritadaria, and uh, we're going to talk about why you need an estate plan. Lexi is with our Trust and Estate Department. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Rich. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here very much. So this topic is something that really applies to everybody, because the one thing I can say unequivocally about all of us, we're all going to die right? The only two certainties in life, death and taxes. There we go. And, uh, and we're going to cover a little bit both of them. So uh, let's get right into it. Let's talk about why somebody would need an estate plan. We don't like to think of this, but what happens if I don't have anything written down? I, I haven't consulted a lawyer or done anything and I die. What happens to my stuff? Mayhem ensues. Uh, no, that's not entirely true. So in New York State, and actually in, a, in most states, you don't actually die without an estate plan. It's just that the state wrote it for you. So you get no say in the matter. So in New York, it depends on who you're survived by. So if you're survived by a spouse and no children or anybody else, then your spouse gets everything and you might be happy with that. If you have a spouse and children, your spouse only gets about half of your estate and your children get the other half, regardless of how old they are. And if you're a single person, it goes to your parents, which is almost never the right answer, particularly if they have any kind of concerns about needing Medicaid or anything in the future. So it's one of those things that everybody already has an estate plan. You just might not be happy with what the state of New York has written for you. I see. And and talk to me, I mean, there are different ways property can pass at the end of somebody's lifetime, right? Um, sometimes by what the state has to say, but by other mechanisms as well. Can you break that down for us? Absolutely. So there's kind of four main ways that things go. They either go by a contract, which is something like a trust agreement or the beneficiary designation that you have on your retirement account or annuities or life insurance. It can go by operation of law, which means that some New York statute has said, this is what happens to this kind of property when the owner dies. That's mostly in real estate or by will. So by your last will and testament, which is a special kind of document that says, this is what I want to happen to my property when I die. And if you don't have your own will, you use the states and that's called intestacy. So those are the the kind of basic ways that property passes from one person to another. Okay, and and let's use New York as an example, uh, I guess, um, and uh, let's use the situation of two spouses and two children, the seeming nuclear family. Um, what is the what is the New York State's will going to provide? So New York State's will, if we're going to take a married couple with two minor children, so that means their children are under the age of eighteen. Okay. And it's going to take all of the assets that the first spouse to die owns that they own outright in their own name. So not accounts that you hold jointly and not accounts that have a beneficiary designation on them. And it's going to split those assets. About half goes to the spouse and about half goes to the two minor children. 
Now, the part that goes to the spouse, that's no problem. The part that goes to the two minor children, however, is going to require a guardianship for those two children. And that's regardless of the fact that they have a surviving parent. Well, isn't the surviving parent automatically the guardian? So they're automatically the guardian of their person. So medical decisions, all the things you can typically do for your kids until they're adults. But when it comes to property, parents do not have an automatic right. So even a surviving parent would have to go to the New York State Surrogates Court and get guardianship over their children's property. And that comes with a lot of strings attached. They need to file accountings with the court every year. And in order to spend any of that money for the child's benefit, they need court permission. The court is very, very involved in that family's life until those kids turn 18. And then the other negative is those kids inherit that money when they turn 18 outright with no protection and regardless of what it is. This can be particularly jarring when it's the family home. So the surviving spouse owns half of the house and the two 18-year-olds own half of the house. Um, and that's not the result most people right, want. You can't, you can't split it up by rooms, I suppose. Some 18-year-olds might like that. You could try. It's, it's just not the result that, that most people think that they're getting or want. Where do you find this body of law in New York State? What is it called? So it's called the Estates, Powers, and Trusts Law. Shorthand is EPTL. Um, and this particular progression is in section 4-1.1. And so if you haven't put an estate plan in place and you die in New York, we're going to turn it over to the EPTL to dictate what happens. Yes, we are. Other and than the other kinds of unintended consequences. Because whenever you have an account that has the potential for a beneficiary, you most likely filled it out at one point. One other really common thing we see when people are newly married or have some other major life change is they forget to change those beneficiary designations. So when you're a young professional, you might appoint a sibling as the beneficiary and forget to change it. And that holds sway even if you're married and even if you have children. So your larger assets, your retirement accounts can end up with your sibling instead of your spouse. Right. And by the way, you know, we talk about spouses, but there are a lot of people living together who haven't spoused. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And, and, and as I understand it, you know, the EPTL does not help you at all in that circumstance. Not one little bit. Not one little bit. That right, would, there's there's no presumption. You could be living with a person for 30 years and there's no legal presumption that that person is entitled to any of your property when you die. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. let's break this down into uh, a hypothetical. I know that you had prepared to do that, so I'm not, no one should think I'm springing this on Lexi. We talked about this. You know, we plan these things a little bit in advance. So uh, give us the Jones family here. All right, so we're going to spend some time with Cameron Jones and Taylor Jones and their two children, Jordan and Austin. Jordan is three and Austin is one. Cameron is the only one working, and Cameron actually owns the home that they live in because Cameron owned it before Cameron and Taylor got married. Meaning the home as a legal matter is in Cameron's name. Correct. Without any kind of right of survivorship or anything built into the deed that would help you out. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Cameron also has a couple joint accounts 
with Taylor. So that's their together money. So Cameron also has a 401k that Cameron named Cameron's sister as the beneficiary when they first started that account and never bothered changing it. And then Cameron also has a brokerage account in their own individual name. Again, no beneficiary designation and Taylor is not named. Okay, so Cameron has a house, has joint accounts with Taylor and has a 401k and a brokerage account. Correct. And that's a pretty common spread. Okay, so we're not going to pay attention to Taylor's separate assets because Taylor will be surviving this hypothetical. Congratulations, Taylor. You lived through the hypothetical. (laughs) It's always a good thing. It's a favorite thing of law school professors to to kill off, to pick uh, students' names and use those names to kill off people. All right, Cameron, Uh, Cameron just fell over a cliff. Cameron fell over a cliff. All right, so we're going to go through each asset and see who gets what. Now, this is not going to be an exact science. There can be some horse trading as to value. The value falls out as to half goes to spouse and half goes to kids, roughly. But we're going to just assume that we're splitting each asset that way for the purposes of the hypothetical. So the house, 50% goes to Taylor, 25% goes to Jordan. 25% goes to Austin. In order for those 25% to go to Jordan and Austin, Taylor has to go to court, get appointed guardian for each of the children, and report for the next 15 and 17 years everything that happens with the accounts that they're going to inherit. Which already, let's just say it, already is more expensive, more time-consuming, and more burdensome than it would have been to put an estate plan into place. Absolutely. Okay, so tell us what else is going to happen to this family. The joint accounts, luckily they had some joint accounts, so Taylor has access to money. But one of the biggest pitfalls that we find is that one spouse really has control over a lot of the money. And if you're not very careful, if you only have a small household operating account, the surviving spouse can go through that pretty quickly and there's no access to the money until all of this is done. So those are the kinds of things you need to think about in planning for the worst. So the joint accounts just go directly to Taylor, no problem. Now we're going to move to the 401k. We've kind of already touched on this, but because Cameron didn't change the beneficiary designation when they got married, that account goes to Cameron's sister And there's not really anything that can be done about that. She's entitled to it. And a lot of times, particularly for people in their early 60s, that's usually a very large chunk of money. And if Cameron's sister says, oh, I bet I should give this money to Taylor, it's going to get taxed twice, right? It can get taxed a variety of different ways, and that's another show, folks. Um, But the bigger problem is that because of the way that retirement accounts work, it's nearly impossible for them to do that, particularly if Cameron's sister has children. Maybe another time we'll do a show on retirement accounts. Oh, right, because it's a retirement account. I got you. I got you. It it would be difficult. Yeah, even if it it was a regular bank account, you can do what's called disclaim if you, for an unwanted inheritance, but that doesn't necessarily mean it goes to the surviving spouse. There's a whole set of rules with that too. So what would happen to the brokerage account that had no beneficiary designation? The same thing has happened to the house. 50% 
will go to the spouse, 25% to Jordan, 25% to Austin, still locked up in those guardianship accounts. And also just to get that money to the surviving spouse, there's another court proceeding. So it doesn't happen by operation of law. It doesn't happen automatically. Taylor will have to go to court, say my spouse died. I would like to be appointed the administrator. Then there's kind of a terribly involved process because there are minor children, something called a guardian ad litem, which is a lawyer protector is appointed for the children. And that person will file reports and it can take a very long time to get through that whole process before Taylor actually has access to any of the money. Right. And the guardians are getting paid out of the accounts. Absolutely. Right. So they're, yeah. so it's eating up some of the assets just to go through all these proceedings. Certainly. And it can be thousands of dollars. We're not talking hundreds. Uh, um, and all of this is preventable. Okay. Let me ask you this question then. What kind of things could you do in an estate plan that would make this go more smoothly when Cameron goes over the cliff? Sure. So we, the, the easiest and most simple on the front end thing to do is write a will. That will alleviate the need for the guardianships for the minor children if you put the money in a trust until they're 18 or 21 or whatever age you want. So properly crafting a will can solve that problem. That doesn't, however, solve the problem of how long it will take to get the money to Taylor. To solve that problem, you either have to balance out the assets, which sometimes we do with people, um, which means transfer some of the assets, add joint names, check all of the beneficiary designations, or you can do a revocable living trust and then fund it with the assets while Cameron is still alive. And that is a very, very quick process of how to solve the problem of getting access to the money quickly. Okay. And then, of course, when you do an estate plan, you can address all kinds of other issues like what happens if both of the parents die, if they both go over the cliff, you know, that you have a whole host of other issues. Absolutely. Whenever we do an estate plan with a family, we sit down, we look at all of the assets, we look at your family makeup. There are other big decisions that need to be made. If both parents pass away, who's going to be the guardian for those minor children? How old do you want your children to be before they have access to real money? All of those decisions are things that we work with the family and figure out. So estate planning is kind of a two-piece system. We're figuring out the mechanics of who gets what and how, and you know, in our EverQuest to minimize taxes, but then we're also talking about the really human factors, about how you want your family's values to be carried on through their inheritance and the interpersonal issues that are going to come up when choosing trustees, for example, or it's basically who's going to run the show. Um, but those are all things that you address through an estate plan. And when left to chance or left up to the state of New York in intestacy, they don't turn out the way that you might want them to be for your family when you're gone. I think at this point in our discussion, this question answers itself, but let me just put it out to you. I've heard people say on this topic, I don't need an estate plan. I don't have that kind of money that I would need an estate plan. What would you say to Cameron if Cameron told you that? I can honestly say that the most complicated estates, the messiest situations that I've been involved in, have had some of the least amount of money. Why is that? 
you know, I don't actually know the answer to that. Um, but money can solve a lot of problems. And typically, right. the more money you have to throw at a problem, the easier it is to make it go away. But I just, I've had to go through, and I think maybe it's that the more, the less money there is, the more painful the results of this are. So sure, I could understand that. I think I would also say that particularly if there's not a lot of money there, that actually may be all the more reason you want a precise plan as to what's going to happen. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely right. I mean, if, if you have a situation where if your spouse dies, you're not sure you have access to money, you, you need to resolve that before the death. Yeah, certainly. All right. That's uh, very illuminating. So can you tell us, I, obviously you do estate plans from this discussion, but tell us a little bit more about your practice and the trust and estate department. Sure. So in addition to doing estate plans, like we've talked about today, and asset protection planning and tax planning like that are involved in estate planning, we also practice in special needs planning, which focuses on individuals who have disabilities, be that mental, emotional, physical, uh, mental illness issues, addiction issues, and their families to make sure that their inheritances and their own finances are protected in a way that they can live their best life and access any kind of public benefits that may benefit them over time. Um, another area of practice that we have is elder law, which is basically the practice of helping people age into their life. It's helping people arrange for long-term care, helping people arrange their finances and their estate plan in such a way that when they might not be able to manage as well for themselves anymore, they have people that they trust in place to take over. Um, and then the rest of trust and estates really just falls into how a family manages their money okay. and how a family manages their legal affairs. And we help people with all of those kinds of things. Very good. Closing argument time. We finish up these episodes with a final takeaway or uh, ending proposition for our listeners. So what would you say on this topic of a state plan? I think I know what's coming, but go ahead. It might seem somewhat obvious, but if you are over 18 years old, you need to know what's going to happen to your property when you pass away and make sure that it's what you want. No one is immortal, at least that I know about. Um, and most of the time, you really do need to come see a lawyer to do it. Don't be tempted by do-it-yourself programs on the internet because a lot of times those are not going to help you out in New York. <laughs> yep, they're not going to be sufficient. And again, right, the process for the family, when you think about the whole family, can become much more burdensome and expensive if there's not a plan in place because uh, that cliff is coming one day or another. Right? Absolutely. It is without a doubt less expensive to plan ahead than it is to clean up the mistakes on the back end. Okay. Thank you very much for that sort of sobering message. Appreciate you joining us, Lexi. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Law Brief. Now, here's something lawyerly a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. 
You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com. We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at tartarkrinsky.com. You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief.